Welcome to the weekly podcast of Calvary Chapel, South London, a church where the truth of God's word meets and transforms the reality of our daily lives. We hope you are impacted by this week's teaching. So, it's the last Sunday of the year. Um, the penultimate Sunday of, or, you know, before the new year. And, um, it's that time when, you know, people can get quite reflective. People can be kind of in the process of wanting to refocus and to just learn the lessons of, you know, our experience throughout the year and go on and expect greater things. And that's good. That's right. That's healthy. You know, we as a church have a vision of being a healthy church equipped to disciple and effective in outreach. And um, all that we do endeavors to see that vision fulfilled and outworked among us. And one of the things about being a healthy church is having a commitment to maturity. A commitment to maturity as Christians. In Colossians 1.28, Paul says this, him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. You see, the goal of the Christian life isn't just to hang on until Jesus comes. The goal of the Christian life isn't just to be a Christian until we go to be with the Lord. But the goal of the Christian life is that we would mature and grow consistently in Christ-likeness. And so, when you reflect on your year, how is your maturity factor rated? When you reflect on your year and the year that has past 2012, we had the Jubilee, we had the Olympics, it's, it's been quite an eventful year nationally, but what has it been like personally for you in terms of your quest for spiritual maturity? Spiritual maturity has nothing to do with age. I have seen those who are half my age, they're in their, you know, just, just, just past 10. <laughs> with, with great maturity, whilst I've seen those who are older and who you would expect to be wiser, very immature in the faith. And so, As you consider what your maturity factor has been like throughout the course of a year, you might think about a number of different challenges that you've faced that may have hindered you from being in that place that you would desire to be now looking back. You may have considered the fact that, you know, there have been so many different circumstances, so many different trials, so many different tests, so many different things that have that you've had to fight through and battle through. And that may well be true. I can say the same for myself. But the reality is, those things are not a hindrance to maturity, but a means to maturity. One of the things I think that um, is very unfortunate about the way in which the prosperity gospel, the health and wealth gospel, the, the, the effect and influence that it has, one of the unfortunate things about that, I feel, is that it has left an underlying sense among many Christians that we're not supposed to experience hardship. It's like, you hear guys say, well, you're not supposed to, you're not, no harm shall come to you. 
No deadly thing shall come near you. And if these things happen in your life, it's because you lack faith. You're supposed to live the overcoming life. The victorious life. When none of these things shall come near you. A thousand shall fall at your side and ten thousand at your But none of these things shall touch you. This is Sparta. <laughs> but we all don't know that the reality of the Christian life ain't that. That's not it. And that is a misappropriation, a misapplication of truth. It's a misinterpretation of biblical truth, creating false expectations. And so one of the things that helps us in our endeavor to Christian maturity is that we would learn to have healthy expectations. In Proverbs it says, hope deferred makes the heart sick, Proverbs 30. But desire fulfilled is a tree of life. Hope deferred, that which you expect and are looking forward to and it doesn't happen, can cause you to be deflated, discouraged, and even depressed. And if we have false expectations, we will have a miserable Christian life. And so, we're going to look at Genesis 26. And we're going to look at, jump into the story of Isaac. And as we do so, We're going to learn from this situation that we see Isaac in just what healthy Christian expectations ought to look like. And that we might be able to say, regardless of circumstances, regardless of situations, regardless of conditions, that it is well. Regardless, because we have healthy expectations. So as you turn now, I'm going to pray. Dear Lord God and Heavenly Father, I do thank you so much for the fact that um, you are the unfailing God, the same yesterday, today, and forever. You are our hope. You are our trust. You are our security. You are our great expectation. And I pray, Lord, that today, just through the Ministry of your word, that Lord, you will help to shape our expectations as we reflect on the year, to be able to reflect constructively. And as we begin to have expectations for the year ahead, Lord, that we would have healthy expectations. And that we would grow and be more mature, more like Jesus. Help us today when we pray for the glory of your name. So Genesis 26. Now, in this chapter, and I'll break it down as we go through, we'll see Isaac experience five failures. He will encounter five failures. And yet, despite that, enjoy five expressions of God's favour. And if you don't remember anything else of this message, do remember that God's favour is in spite of us and in spite of failure. We'll see that God has favour over failure. God has favour even through failure. Amen? So the first failure, verse 1. Now there was a famine in the land. Besides the former famine that was in the days of Abraham, 
And Isaac went to Gerar, to Abimelech, king of the Philistines. So it was an agrarian culture. They relied on agriculture. They relied on livestock for their livelihood and to survive. And there was a famine. Now, we're obviously used to being able to kind of go to the supermarket, stock up, when times get lean, double dip recession, you know, we start reach for a few more tin goods in, in our menu, and not so much fresh salmon and all of the you know, fresh meat, it's corned beef now. <laughs> See, I know this at the back, you know, throw his hat up. Know about the bully beef when times are hard. And we have the luxury of being able to kind of, with our condensed type of um, food culture and refrigeration and so on and so forth, we're able to kind of, you know, juggle, rock and roll, hustle, and, you know, stretch food. Lee and parents on anything. <laughs> Meal for it for a king. But for, the, for, for Isaac and the culture of the day, famine was a different thing. It was grievous. It was severe. And even as we look at the rest of the world and we see deprivation and we see cultures that, even like that of Isaac's, are still very much reliant on the fruit of the land and the livestock, we see personally the devastation that famine can have. And so, for a famine to hit the land, it was a fail. It was an epic fail, as they say. And as a result, Isaac had to leave where he was and go to the land of the Philistines. In life, we can face circumstances that are beyond our control. This was a circumstantial failure. There was nothing that anyone could do about it. And yet they had to deal with it. Isaac had to respond to the man. And the reality is that we experience circumstantial failings. We have to deal with issues beyond our control. We have to confront that situation at work which we feel powerless to do anything about when they're cutting salaries and cutting jobs. We have to deal with the decisions of government that we didn't vote for. We have to deal with so many things in life. Somebody crashes into your car, as insignificant as that might sound. You didn't ask for it. You didn't look for it. It was a no-fault claim, but the insurance companies still give you grief. You know when the courtesy car was in the small print only for two weeks and your car still not back in? Now you guys have never had an accident. You never had to deal with the insurance company yet. The reality is that, like Isaac, in this situation, we have to deal with circumstantial failure. And you know, look at verses 2 to 5. The Lord spoke to, appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt, dwell in the land of which I shall tell you. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you and will bless you. For to you and to your offspring I will give all these lands, and I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham your father. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, and will give to your offspring all these lands. And in your offspring, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. Now, God's response to the circumstance was, I'm with you and I'm going to bless you. At that moment in time, God encouraged Isaac with the promise made to his father. A promise that was not dependent on Isaac. 
It was a promise that God made by choice. God made by choice. In verse 2, in verse 3, God says, I will be with you and will bless you. I will give all these lands and I will establish. In verse 4, I will multiply your offspring and will give to your offspring all these lands. You see, God was very, very intentional in his will being accomplished. For those who are in Christ Jesus, we have this comfort, even when facing circumstantial failure, that God is intentional about his will being fulfilled in your life. Despite you and despite the circumstances, because we know that God is greater than circumstances, right? Have you allowed circumstances to discourage you from doing the will of God? Let that be a thing of the past. The fact that you're here today to even reflect on that is the goodness of God. And demonstrates that He is committed to fulfilling His will in the greatness of His favor. In verses 6 to 11, we see further failure. So Isaac settled in Gerald. When the men of the place asked him about his wife, he said, she is my sister. For he feared to say, my wife, thinking, lest the men of the place should kill me because of Rebecca. Because she was attractive in appearance. Now some of you guys are saying, well, I don't see no failure there, boy, because he had a hot wife. Well, let's read on when he had been there a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out of the window and saw Isaac laughing with Rebecca his wife. So Abimelech called Isaac and said, Behold, she is your wife. How then could you say she is my sister? Isaac said to him, Because I thought, lest I die because of her. Abimelech said, What is this you have done to us? One of the people might easily have lain with your wife and you would have brought guilt upon us. So Abimelech warned all the people saying, whoever touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. Now Abimelech's been in this situation before. For those of you who are familiar with Genesis, you know that the same situation, a very similar situation, occurred with Abraham when it came to Sarah. And on that occasion, God gave Abimelech a dream. He said, you see that lady? She ain't Abraham's sister. That's his wife, and don't touch her. <laughs> and so obviously Abimelech right now is having flashbacks. And he's thinking, oh no, he's trying to get us killed. And why would Isaac say that after all that God just said to him? I mean, literally, you go from verse 5 to verse 7. With a very short verse in between. Why? Because of fear. Because Isaac feared rather than had faith, rather than trusting God, and he failed. His faith failed him in that moment. He did not trust God. And he created what could have been a very sticky situation. Have you ever feared? Have you ever failed because of fear? Have you ever found yourself in a place where you have failed to trust God and have sinned? Maybe you were in a situation where you lacked finances and you had the option to either do something deceitful and dishonest or just trust that God will see you through. And out of fear of lack, you chose to take that dishonest move. Maybe you were in a situation where you feared that you'd never get married. 
And so you chose to involve yourself with that person who you know in your heart you really ought not to. Even to the point of sin. Well, let that be a thing of the past. Even though Isaac's faith failed, and it resulted, a, as a, as a, it resulted in a character failure, look what happens in verses 12 to 14. And Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundred percent. The Lord blessed him. And the man became rich. And gained more and more until he went beyond being rich, he became wealthy. He had possessions of flocks and herds and many servants. So that even the Philistines envied him. Now we would say that Isaac was blessed, right? Was that because of Isaac? <coughs> Despite his failings, God in his grace favoured Isaac. Isaac didn't deserve that favour. Just as we don't. And despite the failure in our faith or the failings in our character, through Christ Jesus, we have the hope of God's favor. Your faith may have failed you in 2012. You may have failed in your character in 2012. That doesn't define your life and your future. Why? Because of Jesus Christ. And we'll clarify that. We see in verses 15 and 16 another failure. The Philistines had stopped and filled with earth all the wells that his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham, his father. And Abimelech said to Isaac, Go away from us, for you are much mightier than we are. So Isaac's there and he's prospering. And as he visits the wells of his father Abraham, they've been blocked up. Now you have to consider how significant that is. In those days, wells were literally a life source. They didn't have plumbing, they didn't have mixer taps from MFI. Wells were in, that's where they got their water from. And there were two types of wells. The most common types of wells were basically just like water tanks that were dug down deep, some even up to 125 feet deep, and they would catch the rainy water during the rainy season, and it would be percolated through the rock, often limestone rocks, so it's kind of filtered as it gathered, and it would just fill up. And it would last for a certain amount of time into the dry season, and then for many of them at that point, they would just dry out. So there was a need of many wells. They were the most common types of wells. The other type of well, which was least common, was a, a, a spring well, or, a, or a, a, a well that was dug down and had a spring at the source, at the bottom of it, that kept it replenished. And obviously those wells were particularly valuable because they were not reliant on rain. There was a constant supply of water. And so Abraham had dug wells and had left wells. And when Isaac came to visit these wells, they were bummed up. They weren't any, even any longer able to catch the rainwater and hold it. Some of us may have experienced that kind of failure in our life where we had expectations of those who have gone before us, whether it's our parents, whether it's family, whether it's expectation of pastors, whether it's expectations, and your expectation has not been met. And you've been failed. And where you've hoped to find life, 
and where you've hoped to find something to sustain and refresh your life, you've been failed. You know what? That's the reality of the Christian life. Maybe you had certain expectations of your spouse and they failed you. You know what? That's the reality of the Christian life. Things got worse for Isaac. Abimelech ran him out of town. We're intimidated by you. We're threatened by you. We can't take how blessed and prosperous you are. You know what? You need to go. Abimelech, who had entered into covenant with Abraham, who had shown kindness and favor to Isaac, now turned against him. Anyone ever turned against you? Anyone who you had enjoyed a good relationship, all of a sudden started isolating you, cutting you off, talking about you behind your back, feeling threatened and intimidated by you for whatever reason. Maybe for no reason. It's the reality of the Christian life. It's the kind of failings that we have to deal with and encounter in our lives. But we have hope in Christ. We really do. Because Jesus is greater than every form of failure that may come our way. Amen, brother. Thank you. Verses 17 and 18. So Isaac departed from there and encamped in the valley of Gerar and settled there. And Isaac dug again the wells of water that had been dug in the days of Abraham his father, which the Philistines had stopped after the death of Abraham. And he gave them the names that his father had given him. And so he took opportunity to revisit the old landmarks. He took time to revisit the way of his father and to replenish it. So often when we experience those kind of feelings, when we have expectations of people that we highly esteem, we would tend to, well, you know, forget them, forget everything that they've said, forget everything that they've done. Out with the old school, in with the new school. I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it my way. Because it worked for Frank Sinatra, right? Really? And that's the thing, you know, Isaac and his people had a job on their hand, digging a well. There weren't no JCB, there weren't no mechanical digger that we were able to enjoy outside, no big candle to, to drill through the ground. They had to dig by hand. Digging a well was a hard job. And that's one of the things that made it so precious and valuable within their culture. And yet they committed to revisit the way of the Father, Father Abraham. And because somebody fails us in a place of esteem or a place of responsibility or authority, that doesn't mean that the way that they walk in is necessarily wrong. It doesn't mean that even though they misrepresented what they should be representing is wrong. So many people write off Christianity. Oh, well, you know, I can't really get down with Christianity because have you seen Christians lately? And so my response is, well, Jesus hasn't changed. And so you can't judge the leader by the condition of his followers. Look first at the leader. You'll see that he's flawless. And so let us not make that mistake. 
so they dug the wells and they received favour. And yet we see in verses 19 to 22 that as they sought to progress, they experienced further failing, failing of a relational nature. Verse 19, but when Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found there a well of spring water, the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen saying, the water is ours. So he called the name of the well Essek because they contended with him. So there was relational contention. That's what Essek means, contention. You experience relational contention? So Isaac kept it moving and he was blessed. 
and he was brought to a broad space where God made a room for him. And the favor continued. Verse 23. From there he went to Beersheba after some time lapse. We don't know how long. And the Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I am the God of Abraham, your father. Fear not, for I am with you and will bless you and multiply your offspring for my servant Abraham's sake. So he built an altar and he built an altar there and called upon the name of the Lord and pitched his tent there. And there Isaac's servants dug a well. So they dug a well. Verse 26, when Abimelech went to him from Gerar with Ahuzak, his advisor, and Phico, the commander of his army, Isaac said to them, why have you come to me, seeing that you hate me and have sent me away from you? They said, we see plainly that the Lord has been with you. So he said, let there be a sworn pact between us, between you and us, and let us make a covenant with you that you will do us no harm just as, as we have not touched you and have done nothing and done to you nothing but good <laughs> and have sent you away in peace. You are now the blessed of the Lord. And so he made them a feast and they ate and drank. In the morning they rose early and exchanged oaths and Isaac sent them on their way and they departed from him in peace. Now, it's funny how when we leave it to the Lord, the Lord can, is able to bring around that very resolve that we so desire. <coughs> when we leave it to the Lord, and we allow His favor to rest upon us as we trust in Him. In Proverbs 16, 7 it says, when a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. So Abimelech realizes that, you know what, he can't fight against God. And he comes to Isaac. It's like, oh, you're blessed, bruv. Because see that the Lord is with you. And you know we never really done anything to you, right? Only good. And yet, Isaac's impression was, why have you come? Because you hate me. It's funny how people can see things differently in a situation, right? But the Lord sees the truth in every situation. And yet we see that Isaac was so secure in God's favour that he didn't hold any malice, he didn't hold any bitterness, he didn't hold any resentment, which he could have done. But to be insecure in the fact that, you know what, if God be for you, who can be against you? You and God is a majority. The whole world could be against you. You don't know. And when you're secure in that, like Isaac, it can be a peaceable end. The contention and the strife can end. And so in verse 32, we see Isaac's servants. Remember, it was in um, verse 25, it said, Isaac's servants dug a well. Now watch. Verse 32, the same day Isaac's servants came and told him about the well that they had dug, and said to him, we have found water. You see, when they dug that well, they struck a spring pool. They struck spring water, non-rain-reliant water that would be always available. No matter what kind of failings we experience, no matter what kind of hardship we experience, in Christ, 
we can always expect greater things. Because God is faithful. And as we trust in Him and rely upon Him and Him only, not even in our own ingenuity, our own ideas and devices, well, we will see life-giving water spring up and flow from our lives. And so God blessed Isaac, that was clear, in spite of Isaac, in spite of all the failings that he encountered, and for each of them, he obviously was challenged and yet developed in his character as he went through them. And yet we see in verses 34 and 35, just when you thought it was a happily ever after type of tale. When Esau was four years old, he took Judith, the daughter of Beryl, the Hittite, to be the wife, to be his wife, and Basemath, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite. And they made life bitter for Isaac and Rebekah. Just when you thought it was all over, gonna live happily ever after, roll credits. His son takes wives of nations that Abraham had clearly stated were not to be related to, and they made life bitter for Isaac. <coughs> Rebecca. And so, this ain't Hollywood, folks. No happily ever after here. And you kind of look at this and you say to yourself, hmm, why? I mean, right at the end of the story, he experiences family failure. Like, can't it just be that? You know, the good guy wins at the end. Well, the reality is that there is no good guy. Because we've all sinned. And we all fall short of God's glory. There is no good guy. People say, why do bad things happen to good people? As Vody Buckham said, wrong question. Where are the good people? You see, the reality is that in our lives, not only do we find ourselves in a place where we should expect failure, but we have to appreciate that actually, if truth be known, we deserve failure. That's what we deserve from God. We, it's, it's actually a miracle that any of us are here. Because if God were to withdraw his mercy, we would all get what we deserve. Wrath. Flames. And it's because of God's goodness within himself that he chooses to be merciful. And you say, but Isaac was blessed because of Abraham. But why did God choose Abraham? He chose Abraham because he wanted to. It was his choice. It was his grace. And so no one can lay any claim on God. You may have felt that God has failed you. Isaac sitting there thinking Esau is just a headache. He causes great bitterness to my soul. Why God? And some of us have got children like that. When I say us, I say that in a generic sense. <laughs> but some of us have got children like that. And they bring bitterness to our souls. And we may even feel, well, God, you failed me. Believe me, God has not failed you. And we see that as part of the Christian experience, as part of the Christian life, we will go through these things. And when we consider Isaac, we will see and learn 
a very, very valuable lesson in why. We recognise that Isaac was blessed, but was not to rely on those blessings. He was not to trust in those blessings. He was to trust in God. In fact, Isaac experienced and encountered difficulty because of his blessings. In verse 16, Abimelech turns around and says, Go away because you are mightier than we are. It's because he was blessed. People think that money is the answer to all things. But even Biggie Small said, more money, more problems. Money isn't the answer to all things and people idolize and worship money as if all I need is to just get that dough, stack that paper, get that pee. I'll be set. I just need that football money. That 50 grand a week money, that's, what's the, that's not even Premier League money. That's all I need. No. In all of our blessings, we are to learn not to rely and trust on the blessings, but recognize that God is our source and it is upon Him alone we are to trust. Another reason why is because Isaac was just a pilgrim. Turn with me to Hebrews 11. We don't get it all in this life. And our challenges and our failings and our adversity constantly remind us of the fact that contrary to the popular prosperity gospel preachers, we don't get it all in this life. And we, we were never meant to. I mean, why is it that we're looking for a new heaven and a new earth if this is the one that we're, we're clamoring after? Hebrews 11, 8. By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he went to live in the land of promise. As in a foreign land, notice. In the land of promise, as a foreign land. Living in tents with Isaac and Jacob heirs with him of the same promise. Verse 10, for he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Abraham was looking for more than this. Like Isaac, Abraham was blessed. He was born in. But he was looking for more than this. It goes on. For by, so by faith Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, verse 12, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven, and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. Verse 13, keep us. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised. But hold on. Promised to give Abraham seed like the stars and like the sand on the seashore, and, and it. But he died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. You see, we have to shift our focus as Christians. We have to shift our focus from thinking that this life is all that we have. YOLO. You only live once. It's a lie! Unless you are dead in your sin. Then you only live once. And so like it says in the case, eat, drink and be married. But tomorrow you die and it's done. And then comes the judgment. And so... You might be here living this life. If you're born twice, you die once. You're born once, you die twice. It's a little riddle for you. This life is not all that we're to expect. This life is not all that we're to be living for. Verse 14, for 
people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. So it was just about good life and being with your people and living happily. Then just go back to Ur of Chaldees and chill with your family and be rich. And if that's what it was all about. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Do you desire more than this? And when I say more than this, I don't mean more than your present condition in life. So you'd like a bigger house, you'd like a better car, you're not even trying to be greedy. You just want a bit more space to be able to hang your stuff in your, in your, your walking wardrobe, maybe. And off-street parking and reducing insurance costs, right? And you just want a few of the, the simple things in life, you know? I'm not talking about that. Do you desire more than this? Do you desire more than all this world has to offer? See, God constantly reminded Isaac that, you know what, from your report, no matter how blessed you are, there's more than this. Don't get comfortable here. This isn't your home. You were made for more than this. And for so many of us, we've, we've ejected, like a scratch CD, we've ejected that mindset. And this life has become all. And so we're thinking about 2013, and we're thinking about progress. We're thinking about maturing, maturing our investments. And our eyes are completely horizontal and not vertical. So be encouraged. 2 Corinthians 1 verse 20 says, For all the promises of God find their yes in Christ Jesus. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. We say amen, so be it, to the glory of God in Christ. Because through Christ we appreciate that we have the promises of Abraham. We are heirs and inheritors of the promises of Abraham. And the promises of Abraham, people like promoting that, yeah, Abraham was rich. He had riches. He had money. <laughs> but Abraham knew that he was an inheritor of much more than this. And may we know as Abraham's heirs that we're heirs to more than all that this life has to offer us. That's real maturity right there. In Galatians 3, 29, it says that if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. Isaac was Abraham's heir, inheritor, the child of promise. Look what he went through. Even to the end, I'm sure Isaac was glad to expect more than this. Even in the issues with the worlds, and it's like, it's like a picture to us. They say a picture is worth a thousand words and it communicates the reality of life. Contention, hostility, space. Wells were essential to their daily life, but remember this Jesus is our well. Remember John chapter 4, and Jesus meets the woman at the well. And he says, Let me have a drink now. Because he had a Jamaican time right next to him. And she was like, How are you asking me for a drink? I'm a Samaritan. And Jesus says to her, listen, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. We need water to live. 
What is also enjoyable, refreshing, is Jesus your life and your luxury. Is Jesus your life and your refreshment? Do you find the light in Him or do you look for it elsewhere? The woman said to Jesus, Sir, you don't have anything to pour the water out with. The well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the world and drank from it himself, as did his sons and livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty forever. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. You see, the Lord offers us more than this and it is found in Christ. He is our world, our source, our source of life, our source of refreshment. He is our necessity and ought to be also our pleasure. It's all in Christ Jesus. And so like the woman at the world, we're challenged to believe, to believe in Jesus, recognizing that even through faith in Jesus, we will experience and encounter hardships and we will encounter failings in life. We will fail ourselves, we will fail God, we will fail others, others will fail us, the system will fail us. But you know what, we don't have to walk with a victim mentality. Because we recognize that actually, we're the victimizers. Jesus died because of our sin, he was innocent. The only one innocent. And yet through him, we receive grace and life and peace. Eternal hope. So don't be discouraged by the failings of 2012. And in 2013, expect more. <coughs> expect God's favor through Christ. Expect God's blessing. But most importantly, expect more than this world has to offer.
pray, Lord, that you will help us through the challenges that we face. Because we will face challenges. Help us, Lord. May your favour be upon us. May you strengthen us as a people through them, Lord. For the glory of Christ, I pray. Amen. Shall we stand?
Trust in the Lord with all your heart and in all your ways acknowledge Him. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will direct your path. Lord, we thank you for your goodness towards us, Lord, and we just pray that you would strengthen us and sustain us, Lord, as individually and collectively, Lord, we are. We just take that moment to reflect on your goodness towards us, your favour, Lord. And even as we learn from the failings of 2012 and we step into 2013, Lord, we know that we can't lose in Christ Jesus, that we are more than conquerors, that no weapon that is formed against us shall prosper, that all that rise up against us, Lord, will be put to silence, Lord. Lord, we know that we are able to do all things through Christ Jesus. Who loves us. We thank you, Lord, for the precious promises that we have in you. Help us, Lord, as we grow and we move forward for your glory. In Jesus' name. To find out more about us, Visit our website at calvarychapelsouthlondon.org or find us on Facebook and Twitter at CC South London. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.